How many of you woke up this morning and said, I want to be successful? Let me ask it a different way. How many of you woke up this morning and said, I want to fail today? So really, nobody did neither. <laughs> Sermon's over, I guess. I, I would contend today that all of us, we don't wake up in the morning and say, I want to fail today. We may not say it, but we're at least thinking it. Today, I want to be successful. That's the way we live our lives. We want to have success. Well, what is success? Well, according to Webster, success is this, straight from Webster. Success is this, the correct or desired result. The second definition from Webster is the fact of getting or achieving wealth, respect, or fame. So according to Webster, to be successful, you would want to attain to the correct spot. You would want to do the correct thing, which according to Webster would get you wealth, fame, or respect. You would achieve success if you had wealth, fame, or respect. Well, since we're all pursuing success, then that's what we're pursuing, wealth, fame, or respect. Or is that what we're pursuing? Or does Jesus have a little different idea of what is success? He's preparing his followers in the passage of Scripture we're looking at today for a, for a time when he's gone, and he's giving them, on one hand, a harsh word, a reminder of some difficult realities. And at the exact same time, he's giving them an overarching purpose. He's saying to them, hey, you've got one thing, one thing. Be ready for the master. In other words, Jesus is saying to his followers this morning, he's saying, hey, you are to be faithful in every moment because you do not know the moment you will be in the presence of Jesus. Jesus is saying to us this morning that we are to be faithful in this moment because we should expect that at any moment, Jesus will return. Success, according to Jesus, is faithfulness. That's exactly what Jesus wants from his followers. He wants them to be faithful at any and every moment. Look with me back in Luke chapter 12. I want you to notice the emphasis that Jesus makes here on, on any time, being ready at any moment. Verse 38, he's giving this little story about being ready for your master. In verse 38, he says this, if he comes in the second watch or in the third watch and find them awake, blessed are those servants. In other words, at any hour, the master might return. At any hour, the master might return. You better be found faithful in that moment. In other words, what Jesus is saying here to us this morning is very simple. Do the next right thing. So many of us, we live our lives in anxiety and worry, and we're like, oh, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. And then we try and map out kind of a life plan. And as we map out the life plan, what happens? We look down the road at the plan and go, I don't know how that's going to work. So then what? We don't even take the first step. So in the very moment, we know what we're supposed to do, but we don't because of what might happen down the road. Does anyone here live in the middle of a dysfunctional system? A family, a workplace, a church, a neighborhood, 
all of us are living in the midst of dysfunctional systems. What I mean by that is there's operations or there's cultures that we're in that we know are not always going to produce good things. We know that if we say something, that certain people are going to react a certain way and start doing certain things. Anybody have this in your family? Where you don't speak up against something, why? Because you know of certain things that are going to happen down the road. Even though you know the right thing to do at that moment is what? To speak. How many of you at work live in the middle of a dysfunctional system where you don't say anything to your supervisor because you know that it's just going to get through this bad system, nothing's going to happen ever, so you don't say what you should say. We don't do what you should do. Jesus is saying this morning, hey, in the midst of the dysfunctional system, you need to do the right thing at the moment you are in. Do the next right thing. Stop worrying about three years, five years down the road. I know this sounds crazy in our planning society, but Jesus is saying, live in the moment. Be ready at that moment because you don't know the moment when Jesus is going to return. To be faithful in the moment means to reflect the character of Christ in that moment. Look with me if you would. I'd like you to turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 13. What does it mean to do the right thing in the moment? To do the right thing right now. Turn with me to Romans chapter 13. I want to point out a, a single verse here, but I want to show you the context of what's going on. Romans 13, looking at verses 11 through 14. Romans 13, 11 through 14. So here, God's word is preparing us for the end times. Paul is saying, hey, the end is near, and, and, and stuff's going on. So get ready. The, the, Jesus is coming. Then in verse 14, he says this, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. What does it mean to do the next right thing? To do the next right thing is to reflect the character of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's trying to get across here. He's saying, hey, live in the light because the moment of light is coming even though you're in the midst of darkness. There's bad times, there's worse times coming, but he says this, hey, reflect Jesus. Be the light. To do the next right thing is to reflect the character of Jesus Christ in that moment. A dysfunctional system does not justify dysfunctional behavior from followers of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. A dysfunctional system does not justify dysfunctional behavior by followers of Jesus Christ. Our behavior is dictated by the promise of the coming Jesus Christ. Therefore, we seek to reflect the person of Jesus Christ at all times. I just want to share one more verse to help you see the consistency. 1 John 3, we don't have to turn there because we were there earlier. 1 John 3, remember back there that I read, it talked about Jesus is coming and he's pure. So what does it say? Purify yourself. In other words, the promise of Jesus' return should cause us to desire to be pure right here in this moment. To be successful in the eyes of Jesus is to be faithful in this very moment. Is that going to lead to awkward situations? Absolutely. Is it going to lead to some messes that you don't know how are gonna, they're going to work out or shake out? Absolutely. 
because you might be responding in a way that most people aren't used to. Most people are used to a dysfunctional system creating dysfunctional behavior or everybody being quiet about it. But Jesus is asking us to do the right thing in this moment. So Jesus wants us to be faithful in the moment. The other thing I want you to notice here from Luke chapter 12, if you want to turn back there, Luke chapter 12, be faithful in this moment. Be ready. But notice the emphasis here in Luke chapter 12 as he starts to talk to Peter in Luke chapter 12. I want you to look with me down here kind of a little bit. He's giving the story, verses 43 through 47. Jesus is saying, hey, there's this idea of a servant taking care of being faithful with what he has. So Jesus is saying to Peter, hey, you just need to be faithful with what you got. If you've got something, you need to do something with it. And his point to Peter is most likely, hey, Peter, you just need to preach the word. He uses the word household here. Jesus is probably talking about the church, which is sometimes referred to as a household, where Jesus is the foundation. And Peter's building that house. And, and Jesus is saying to Peter here, hey, you need to be faithful with, you, with what you got. You need to preach to the household that you have. Look at verse 47. He says, and that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. In other words, Jesus is saying to Peter here, hey, hey, just do what you know is right in that moment. Be faithful with what you have. It's not your concern what you don't have. Jesus is not concerned with your faithfulness over what you don't have. He wants you to be faithful with what you've received. Look with me at the end of the message here in verse 48. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Jesus is saying here, hey, hey, Peter, you've been given a lot. All this knowledge you've been given, therefore, you are being entrusted with that. You are being responsible for being faithful for what you have. And he says in other places, he uses, he's been given little, you've got to be faithful with a little. This morning, are you looking around at what other people have, the skills, the abilities, the resources, and wondering what it would be like to have that? Or are you saying, God, thank you for what I got, I'm going to be faithful with it. Are you faithful with the skills and the abilities that God has given you? Are you faithful with the resources that God has given you? Jesus wants us to be faithful in this moment. Do the next right thing with who you are and what you have. Do the next right thing. Jesus is not asking more than what we have. I know that sometimes we read this message here from Jesus where he talks about the severe beating and the light beating and what happens to those who have never heard the message of Jesus Christ, which is a legitimate question, is what happens to people who never heard the gospel? Do they face the same severe punishment? This would tend to indicate that there's a more complicated than we think. Here's the problem. Everybody in this room has been given much. Everybody in this room has been given much in regards to knowledge of the Bible, in regards to resources. Da, da, da. So you can academically think about that question of what happens to, to people wherever. But guess what? The focus is on you and me. 
What, have, what are we doing with the much that we have? So Jesus is encouraging us to be faithful in this moment. Now, the reason for this encouragement is where it gets really complicated. Look with me in Luke chapter 12, verse 40. The reason for the encouragement is this. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. In other words, Jesus is saying this. You should reflect the character of Jesus, because at any moment, you're going to be fully in the presence of Jesus. Have you thought about that before? That at any moment, you would be fully in the presence of King Jesus. We're supposed to have on our hearts and our minds that at any moment I might be standing in the presence of Jesus Christ, the King of the universe. This isn't Jesus just saying, hey, the Son of Man is going to come for a little flyover, carry a little banner behind the plane and say, hey, I'm here. No, 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 no. When the Son of Man comes, Scripture tells us that he gathers him, his people to himself. You're not going to be off on some far hill. You're going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. The reason for us to do the right thing at any and every moment is that because at any moment we might be fully in the presence of Jesus Christ. This is oftentimes referred to as the end times. The final moment. The end times refers to not the end of life and everything as not nothing everything ceases to exist. That's not what's meant by the end times. The end times means the end of things as we know it. Because there's still going to be life after the end times event. There's a whole new kingdom coming. There's a whole new creation coming of, of perfection and resurrected bodies. So end times refers to the moment in time, the events where things are no longer going to be like we know them to be. So what I want to do this morning is in five minutes, hopefully in five minutes, give you Seminary 101 on the end times. So get ready. You don't have to take any notes. I'll print a little one-page thing and post it online. Don't take any notes. Just listen very carefully because it's going to be like a fire hose. Okay, the end times is the encouragement for us to be faithful. The end times... Most of us have a certain view of how it's going to work. And I want to talk about that for just a moment. Most of us believe the end times is something like this. We've got the beginning, which is creation, and then we're in the middle of this life right now. And in this life, Jesus came at some point in time. Most people believe the end times works like this in America. Jesus is going to come, and there's going to be this thing called the rapture. And at that rapture, Jesus is going to take out of earth believers. And then after the rapture, there's going to be a seven-year period called tribulation. After that seven-year period, Jesus is going to return, and there's going to be a big thing called Armageddon. A-R-M-G stands for Armageddon. After Armageddon, there's going to be what's called the millennium, a 1,000-year reign of Jesus Christ on earth. Most people in America have this view of the end times because a lot of books have been sold about this view called Left Behind. Right? So most people believe that right now we're living in the middle of life as we know it. At some point, Jesus is going to rapture, which, me, which I want to explain what people believe and what the Bible says. What people believe the rapture means is that you're just going to be gone like that. 
You're just going to go into the clouds and be, I don't know where you're going, but you're going somewhere. You're gone. That's, that's what rapture means. Biblically, what rapture means, it means that Jesus is on the cloud and he brings you along with all other believers to that gathering. It doesn't really tell us where or how or whatever. Just you, there is going to be some sort of rapture where as Jesus comes, he pulls all people into this weird cloud or something like that. And then you've got this thing called the tribulation. So most Americans believe that we're going to be gone for the tribulation because we're going to be raptured out. There's a serious problem with that. Go talk to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that live anywhere else in the world, and you tell them, yeah, we're kind of waiting for the tribulation. And you know what they'll tell you? I don't think it can get any worse than it is right now. Even 500 or 1,000 years ago, there would have been people around the world that would have looked at Scripture and said, That's right now it's happening to me. They just burned my kid. No, literally, burned my kid. Can it get any? It doesn't get any worse, does it? So we've got to be really careful that we talk about this idea of a tribulation and we're gone. We don't have to experience it. Our brothers and sisters in Christ are living in it right now. And then, so then we believe that Jesus comes back and defeats all those people at the Armageddon and establishes this thousand-year reign. So that's the kind of the general view of a lot of people have in America of how the end times work. Let me give you three quick important terms to know. Rapture, we've already talked about. Tribulation means an enduring hardship. Basically, a period of unparalleled hardship. And then, millennium is a key term to understand. Millennium means a thousand-year reign. So some people believe this is figurative. Some people believe this is literal. But all everything revolves around those three terms. Rapture, tribulation, millennium. Now, where it gets really complicated is this. All, how you come to this point depends on how you translate verses in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 9, and Jan Daniel chapter 12. Extremely difficult, complicated verses. Depending on how you translate and how you interpret those verses gives you a certain thing about seven years or 70 weeks and all this different information. Then that controls what you believe about the book of Revelation and everything else. So everything you read about the rapture, tribulation, and millennium and left behind series comes because somebody is interpreting Daniel 7 and Daniel 9 a very specific, certain way. That interpretation did not come to light until the late 1800s. Before the late 1800s, this type of view of the end times did not exist. And for the most part, does not exist outside of America. That should tell us something. Because Americans don't have more revelation than the rest of the world. So again, I want to emphasize those key terms where it comes from a difficult place. So therefore, if I'm saying this isn't exactly right, what is right? I just want to lay out for you what I would contend is the biblical perspective of the end times. We've got life with Jesus. I would contend that in the Bible, at some moment in history, Jesus is going to return. And it's going to be the rapture and his return at the exact same moment. So when Jesus returns, there's the rapture, there's the resurrection, there's a serious battle. It's, it's all at the exact same moment in time. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about Jesus returning. 
And let me encourage you why I come to this point. This idea of Jesus coming and no one knowing anything about it is absurd. When Jesus comes, everybody is going to know. It's going to be obvious for everyone. There's nothing secret about it. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. If we say that Jesus is is going to kind of come after a tribulation or middle of tribulation or whatever, then a lot of what's said in the Bible and the New Testament, they're just tricking us into good behavior. Because in Luke chapter 12 that we just read, Jesus says what? Be ready for when the Son of Man returns. And then the Apostle Paul writes in multiple other places, be ready, Jesus could come at any moment. Well, if Jesus isn't really going to come, then what they're saying really isn't true. The New Testament believers are living under this idea that at any moment, Jesus is going to be here and not just rapture the church, but he's going to be here and he's going to stay and establish a new kingdom. So if we say these are separate events, we've got to wiggle out of a bunch of New Testament verses and thoughts that I would contend come from New Testament authors. So Jesus is going to return. After Jesus returns, he's going to set up a new kingdom. This kingdom is going to be everlasting. Once Jesus comes, fights the battle of Armageddon, the physical resurrection of people who are dead right now, those of us who are alive will be with Jesus. He'll win the battle, and then he'll start a whole new kingdom. Earth will be recreated in this amazing event that don't know how it happens, but there'll be a new kingdom that's created that's everlasting and perfect. Now, this is a much simpler version, and it's not right because it's simpler. It's not right because I say it's right. I want to encourage you, though, to consider what Scripture says and study and understand the overarching message of the Bible. Here's what I want to emphasize today about the end times. First is this. We've been in the end times since Jesus ascended. Since Jesus ascended, we've been in the end times. Otherwise, the New Testament authors are lying that Jesus can come back at any moment. The second thing is this. The hope of the end times is the return of Jesus in the physical resurrection for us. The hope of the Christian is not heaven. Sorry to burst anyone's bubble today. The hope of the Christian is not heaven. The hope of the Christian is Jesus returning and establishing an everlasting kingdom. If the hope of the Christian is heaven, you don't have a body. The hope of the Christian is the return of Jesus and an everlasting kingdom. Now, there needs to be some patience with each other on this issue because it's extremely complicated. So I share this view that I believe comes from Scripture, but we could have another pastor here who would share something completely different, like I had on the whiteboard before, and they'd say, I'm crazy. And I'd say, they're crazy. Well, who's right? We have to recognize that we're dealing with extremely difficult prophecy to interpret so therefore the main point is this prepare for jesus whether you're being raptured today or whether jesus is coming back prepare for jesus and be faithful in the moment why is this such a big deal why is this such a big deal did you know that the biggest thing that's going on in the world today is directly connected to this how many of you saw a little boy on CNN this last week? picture of a little boy from Syria. Came out of some rubble, out of a bomb that was dropped and things. 
you notice something really quick, and I don't want to get too political, but do you notice something really quick? That American military and European military is not quick to intervene? What would happen if that same picture was of a boy in the middle of Israel? I guarantee you, there would be voices, loud voices from Americans saying our military needs to intervene. There would be voices, there would be loud voices from Europe saying our military needs to intervene. Not right or not wrong, I'm just saying that's, that's just reality. The world events right now that are going on are greatly dictated by a person's view of the end times, which is greatly dictated by what a person believes about Israel and how they read scripture. It just is. You can't deny it. It's affecting the greatest events that are affecting our lives today are all tied back to this. It's vitally important. So we better get clear because what? There's a lot of lives at stake. Literally a lot of lives at stake. That's why it's important. There's life of children, women, and men at stake all around the world. And if we don't articulate clearly, policy gets written and money gets spent that affects and can ruin lives. So I'd encourage you, dig into the scripture. Don't listen to the media. Don't believe everything you read on Google. Don't believe everything that comes out of Hollywood. Take it back to the Bible. And as you read the Bible, let me encourage you to do this. Start with where it's clear. 1 Thessalonians 4, Matthew 25. Start with where it's clear and then work to the passages that are difficult to interpret. I know that I'm poking the bear a little bit this morning for some of you. We get excited about this stuff. It's kind of fun to speculate about the end times and then we get passionate about certain things about it that we've, that we've read about. Folks, let's break it down to very simply this. Are you passionate about your own life in light of the promised return of Jesus Christ? Is the promised return of Jesus Christ having an effect on your heart just like it's having an effect on the rest of the world right now? It's a very simple question that all of us have to ask ourselves today. What do I have to do today to be successful? What do I have to do today to be successful? Jesus would say, be faithful in this very moment because you do not know the moment when Jesus will return. Let us be found faithful to Jesus. Let's just have a moment right now. We've got two questions. Let's answer two questions really quick. If you want to go to that, next slide. Since we're to be ready at all times, does it matter how the end times play out? Great, great question. I think that's a legitimate thought. Jesus and the New Testament writers are saying, hey, you've got to be ready at any moment. And if you're ready at any moment, does it really matter if we're in tribulation now or if we're in tribulation in 50, 70, 100 years from now? It doesn't change Jesus' command. Be ready now, whether you're in the tribulation or not in the tribulation. The command to us is still the same. The, the reason that I would say that the end times matter in our understanding of it is it affects where we put our time, our energy, and our resources. Big time. Big time effect where we put our focus. That's why I think it's important to study. How do we understand grace alongside Luke 12, verse 47? Luke 12, verse 47. Let's look at that real quick. 
And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. Great question. I mean, the verse doesn't sound very graceful. Jesus is saying if you're not faithful, you're going to receive a severe beating. This might might offend you. The grace is in the moment when Jesus entrusted you with something. Jesus has already shown grace and that he's given you something to be faithful with. So that, that's part of it. He's, been, he's extended something to you already. The, the second part of that is this is severe beating concept. We, we don't know if this is literal, that Peter's going to spend time in hell. I would contend that Peter's not going to hell. But there's going to be some, some punishment and some sort of, I don't know what it is, responsibility that's laid on him for what he did not do. We sometimes hear grace, and we think grace overcomes everything. Grace simply means this, that God's in a position of favor towards us. It means he's facing us, his back is not towards us. So he's facing us, and he's giving us opportunity. So for example, let me finish with this on this question. When you hear the word repent, most people hear that as a negative word. You know, turn around. Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. I I would contend this completely changes your view of grace and God when you come to understand that repentance itself is a gift of grace. God does not have to give you the opportunity to repent. The very fact that God is saying, you know what? I'm going to make a call. I'm going to give them the opportunity to say I'm sorry and turn a different direction. That's grace. God would be fully justified by saying, you're done. God would have been fully justified by not sending his son Jesus at all and instead bringing punishment and starting from scratch. But God delivers grace in the person of Jesus Christ and also the message of Jesus Christ by giving us the opportunity to enter into a life of following after Jesus Christ. It's all grace because God is in a position of favor towards us. But that does not mean there's no responsibility and that there is no justice from God. It's 100% both, this weird mystery that's, that's going on. But we have to elevate both, even though it doesn't always make sense in our human mind. Today, you and I have an opportunity to be successful because God has been graceful. And the reason that we have an opportunity to be successful is that because God sent his own son, Jesus Christ, in the form of a human being, and that human being came and took our punishment, that human being took the death that we deserve, and then that human being conquered the grave on our behalf. And it's because of God's grace that we now have an opportunity to place our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. And when we do that, God says, well done, you are successful because we are now entering into a life of following after God himself through Jesus Christ. I pray that it's been helpful a little bit. I'm sure it's been like, oh my goodness, it's a fire hydrant. I encourage you again to to dig into the scripture yourself. You want to challenge me? Challenge me. But come with a Bible open. Dig in to the word of God and let's let God's word direct our thoughts, direct our understanding. Let's pray. Gracious God, 
These are difficult things, God. In the midst of the difficulty, God, help us not lose sight of the responsibility in this moment to be faithful. So God, I pray now that you would empower us with the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. Right now, God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would empower each of us to do the next right thing. God, whatever moment someone is in right now, God, I ask that you would give them supernatural ability to be faithful in that moment. God, thank you for the promise of your return. And I pray that you take the promise of your return, burn that in our minds, burn that in our hearts. God, make us mindful of your promise all of the time. God, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your goodness. We praise you, we worship you, for you are good. In Jesus' name, amen.